So, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, this past few days, uh, it's known to be Black Friday, and tomorrow is Cyber Monday. Um, and so, I haven't done Black Friday in many years, but the last time uh, I did it um, was my children were younger, and uh, my wife at the time, uh, we had just sold a house and made a lot of money on it, and so we thought we would splurge for Christmas that year. So we invited some friends, we rented hotel rooms, and we stayed by a mall. And while me and my friend stayed with the kids, um, our wives went out to the mall. Uh, they had a long list, and they had a game plan of who was going to wait on what line, uh, who was going to do what. And I was watching YouTube videos, and there was like a lot of fights this weekend um, at the stores. Uh, they didn't get into any fights that I know of, um, but they did come back with some good deals, including um, all of the electronics I wanted uh, to have in my life at that moment. Um, this time around, I'm like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't really have to shop for much. Um, but I was saying, Alexa reminded me that I have a lot of stuff on my shopping list and asked if I would like to put an order in uh, for things. And me and Alexa have a nice relationship every now and then. I'll be like, Alexa, um, add paper towels to my shopping list. Um, and Alexa does that. So Alexa wanted me to buy all these stuff, stuff that were on sale or going to be on sale tomorrow. Um, so thinking about Black Friday and um, what, uh, what we're expecting, they're saying that this year uh, we're going to have a greater amount of people shopping. And so Finder.com did kind of a research on it. And here are some of the numbers that they, uh, that they, that they had. Um, first of all, they said that the average adult is expected to spend about $483.18 on the shopping, uh, this shopping day, Friday and Monday. So start thinking in your own mind, oh, that's about right, but what I'm, I'm about to spend. Um, if so, then you're within that 77%. Um, but that means that Total spending this year will be at about $90 billion just for the holidays. And that's up 30 and 30.5 from last year. Um, and so just thinking about stereotypes between the genders, some would say that women are the ones that shop till they drop, right? But no, studies have shown that men actually spend way more than women do when it comes to shopping around this time of the year. And so you can see there, uh, women on average will spend about $342.50, where men are spending $626 um, on Christmas gifts around the, uh, around the holidays. Um, and then there's the generational gaps, right? So I'm a Gen Xer, um, and we're shopping a lot, I guess. Um, so our average spending around this time is about $592, um, and it gets down. Baby boomers have decided, I think they've bought all the things they're going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not buying as much uh, or not planning on buying as much this year. And so, um, and so this month, we, we started a three-part series 
uh, that, that's titled, What is Money For? Um, and so it's in this series, we're looking at a sermon by John Wesley that he did in around 1789. Um, and he had an interesting way of looking at money. And he said, we should make all we can. We should save all we can. And we should give all we can. And so we're looking at how is this possible and what does Jesus say about this? What does the Bible say about, about money? And so today we're going to take a look at saving and look at ways that we can figure out ways to save money and maybe spend less. And I'm glad that I have this topic uh, because uh, uh, it's something that I've... I've uh, struggled with and been good at at different parts of my life. But this month, we had um, a great election, right? And in it, uh, the youngest woman uh, has been elected to uh, Congress, right? Alejandra uh, uh, Ortiz Cortez. Um, and that was big news. But what was bigger news when it came to her? You guys know? Right. She couldn't afford her rent in Washington, D.C. Um, and not only that, but we started knowing about her savings, right? She had $7,000. We all know the amount. $7,000 in her savings account. And there were articles being written. Uh, I watched it on television. Financial experts saying that she should have had way more than that saved by the time she was 28. But the millennials all came out in force, and they all tweeted, and they were all supporting her. Not only that, they were surprised that she had $7,000 in the bank. They're like, I wish I had that. Uh, studies are showing that um, uh, people around, her, uh, around Alejandra's age actually have about $2,500 uh, saved in the bank by the age of 25. So she was actually pretty higher than others in her age range. Um, and she had done that because she had saved that money and she took time off. So she was living off of her savings uh, while she was on the campaign. Um, but experts are saying that by the age of 35, you should have two years worth of salary saved. So let's say you're around the middle class in the, let's say $40,000. That means you should have $80,000 saved in the bank or invested by the time you're 35, I won't even ask you to raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> so how do we save money? How do we do this? Um, I've been working for a long time, always in social services. So um, it's not a field where you're going to make a lot of money. Um, but it's a field that I chose uh, to be in. Um, and so even with my children and thinking about savings, um, I'm just going to share a rule that I learned. I think I, I learned this from um, a banker at First Chicago Bank um, when I was younger. It is now Chase. Um, and the way he said was for me to take my paycheck and use a 50-30-20 rule. 50% uh, would go to all of my needs, those basic necessities in life that you need to have to live, like a roof over your head. So your rent, your utilities, the food that you eat, maybe gas for your car, transportation money, any of those things that you need uh, to, uh, to survive life. 
Um, you can also add maybe your, um, in my case, minimum payments or even my student loan on that. Um, although student loans now are kind of skyrocketing. Um, but that would go into that 50%. Um, the 20% is for savings so the, and, and your debt. Um, what's happening now is that our debt is so high that 20% usually doesn't cover it. So um, there's been times in my life where I've had to adjust numbers and maybe gone higher on the needs and higher on the debt so that I can pay that off. Um, but that 20% should be your debt, anything that's, uh, um, you know, credit card bills, anything like that. Those would go under the, the 20%. But today we're going to talk about the 30%. What do you do with that extra 30% or, you know, adjusted, let's say, 20% if you're adjusting all, all of your percentages? Um, the 30% are wants. Those are things that you do not need to keep afloat or to live, but they do make your life a little happier. Um, and so that's vacations. I saw people going to uh, plays this week, which was cool. I wish I would have gone to one of those. Um, concerts, um, any, anything like that, um, that just make you happy and make your life a little bit more enjoyable. Um, but I think sometimes the, the problems that we have is that we make our wants into our needs. And I was sharing the first, uh, the first service um, that when I started coming to Urban Village, um, something strange happened. I started comparing myself to everyone else. And I'm like, oh, I need more clothes. <laughs> I need more shoes. Um, and I started using the word need for certain things instead of want. Whereas usually, uh, before, I lived amongst Mennonites. And uh, we lived a simple life. We didn't have much. Um, and we were happy. Um, and, and, and it's something that I've always tried to abide by, is to live simply, not to, not to always want the most extravagant things. Um, but I fall off of that every now and then, and I want to have the shiniest, brightest things. Um, I used to have an obsession with watches, um, and so um, trying to figure that out and trying to figure out um, that these are not things that are going to bring me happiness for the rest of my life, right? And so, um, and so these are where the 30%. So these are a few things that I try to think of when I want to buy something that is in that realm of want and not need. The first thing is that I can't take it with me when I die. Um, we've all heard that. But if you're at the store and you're looking at a piece of technology, especially like the new iPhones, like they're expensive. And yes, I do want a new one because this one's like old. So do we really need that new phone? So I, I have to ask myself, so no, I don't need a new phone. Um, because I can't take this with me. And, and it's, it's not going to bring me happiness in the long run. Yes, my life easier, and I my phone for a lot of things. Um, but in the long run, it doesn't bring me, it's not going to bring me that much joy. Um, and then secondly, I, I think about, our climate, and I think about 
um, global warming a lot. And so because of that, there are certain things I do at home that I'm sure a lot of you do. Um, I recycle. I have a different bin for that. I try to um, buy food that I'm going to use. And, um, you know, if, I'm, if it's only me and, and my son lives with me, so it's just me and my son, I'm like, it's hard to, I, don't, I no longer go to Costco because I don't need, you know, a 50-pound bag of rice. I just need a little bit of rice or, and vegetables. So I try to be as um, green as I can in buying less food so that I only make what we're going to eat. But really, the greenest thing you could do is to spend less, buy less things. So um, if you think about the manufacturing process and all of the energy that goes into making this sweater, um, how long it takes to transport this sweater um, to the gap um, and how long it takes for you to drive there. There's a lot that goes into the purchase of every single thing you have in your home. If you buy less of those, you're actually making a greater impact against uh, this fight we have with global warming um, and the dangers that we see from um, what it's causing, even these wildfires, hurricanes, um, all of these weather patterns that are changing um, right now. Uh, so can't take them with you and be as green as possible, spend less money. Um, and again, the material, material things don't bring you happiness. And the best gifts take up less space in someone's room. And so um, I was thinking back to my, my daughter, Gabi, when she was younger, on that trip that um, her mom took to the mall, um, we decided we were going to buy her this huge um, dollhouse, like was life-size, that she would be able to walk into and play with her dolls. And her life was going to change as a result of this beautiful dollhouse that we, that we were about to get her. Um, finally, I get it to the house, and I take it out of the box, and I'm putting everything together, and I see that she loved the box. She played with that box more than she played with her dollhouse. And this dollhouse took a lot of space up. And um, I think that that Christmas, we learned a valuable lesson. Um, we stopped celebrating Christmas because it it's not really a, a holiday that we celebrate. We really celebrate Three Kings Day, which is way after Christmas. So that gives us a whole month of not stressing out about, about presents um, and thinking about um, really what will make us happier. And so for me, um, it's spending time together. So I do choose to spend some money on vacations because those are going to bring lasting uh, memories with me and my children. Um, going to a movie, um, buying something cool to eat, and trying something new. Those are, the, those are things that I'm hoping, if I have grandchildren, that I'll, I'll start doing more of that with them um, and spending time with them and enjoying conversations. Um, those are things that I think um, they'll remember the most. And so it's those things that, that if I talk to any of my kids, they remember. It's the things I remember the most with my parents is our trips that we've taken that were really um, 
uh, not that big of a deal. We drove somewhere and we spent a few days. And those things are things that I remember the most with my parents and my siblings. Um, and so, so now in this parable that we read, um, the person with the one talent buried his talent in the ground. Um, and most of this parable is really a conversation between the slave and the master. So that relationship and their dynamic of their conversation, um, to me, is key in understanding this whole parable as I see myself in the, in the slave with the one talent. So let's take a closer look at it uh, today. So here the slave addresses his master, and he suggests... Um, um, uh, an interesting rapport between the two of them. The other two uh, slaves, when they went before the master, they said, you gave me two talents, and I am going to give you this many talents. The other said, you gave me ten, and, I'm, and this is what I did with the ten. What does the one with the one talent say? He doesn't even tell him you gave me one talent, which we heard is was about $1.7 million today. Um, he doesn't say, you gave me $1.7 million. No, this is what he tells him. He goes, I, um, so he didn't uh, reference that. Instead, he says abrasively. He calls his master hard, a hard man, and accuses him of reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you did not spread seed. That's kind of bold. He tells him, hey, you want me to do your work for you, essentially. He's like, you, you, you're this kind of person. So this description, how he describes the master, is actually an explanation of his own hardness. This underlying issue of unfairness of how he sees the master. So basically, the servant is saying, you're tough and you're unfair. And I shouldn't have to do this work for you. So clearly, he does think it was fair the master to entrust the servant with his possession. So in his eyes, administering these goods was not supposed to be their job. When the other two servants saw an opportunity to be industrious, he saw an opportunity for domination. And so he also invokes a greater sense of fear and when he paints a picture of the master. Um, this unfair master, he says, generated fear, which made him hide this talent in the ground. And it was, I think, a subtle way for this slave to kind of manipulate the master's conduct and what the master would do. And so I wonder about this slave with the one talent. What had he gone through? What was his past like? What was his experience with the master before. And I think about times where um, things don't go so well. Things are just, they kind of just suck. And other people around you are having a great life. They're making good money. They're happy. They're healthy. They're getting married. And you're single. And you're um, um, not as healthy. And you're not as, and you're struggling to make ends meet, and you feel like things are just never going to change. I wonder if this is what 
this slave was feeling. And so his vision of the master and, his, and his, the way that he saw him um, was tainted by maybe his past and his past experiences with him. And it's interesting that the master says, you know that I don't reap where I sow, and you know that I do not gather where I spread seed. That he knew this, but the, this slave still, with the one talent, decides that he will not do anything with that talent, and he's just going to give it back to him when he returned. And so it says that the master was gone for quite a long time. So if you think about the, the slave that had the 10 talents, he was there working hard with those talents to increase the amount of talents and present it to the master. The same thing with the, the, the slave that had two talents. But the one with the one talent, I wonder what he did during that whole time that the master was gone. I think he might have just been doing things out of his own interests. And even knowing what the master liked and knowing the master's heart, because I think they did have a relationship, um, he still didn't do any of those things. He kept those things in the ground and did his own things, I believe, the whole time that the master was gone. And so in thinking about um, being a good steward of our gifts that God gives us um, and thinking about here at Urban Village, there are some, some things that we have done to try to be resourceful with what has been given to us. Um, and we've done this in a couple of ways. One was a time study um, that the executive team did. Uh, they took... Uh, started paying attention and writing down how long it took to have coffee with new people that come into the church, um, how long it took to write a sermon and prepare for that, how long it took to go out and buy paper plates and cups and, and um, the different things that pastors do um, to help during the service, such as the, the flyers that you get. Um, how long does it take to get that all typed up printed and brought here. Um, those, those, that was a time study that was done this, earlier this year um, in order to see what, what parts of, of our day could be kind of um, rearranged so that we can um, be more effective with the time that we have. Another thing is the staff restructuring. Uh, so this year, uh, there's been some restructuring. You might see a lot of us, including uh, like me, have interim as part of our title um, during this time so that um, we can take time to pray and seek God and say, how should our, our staff structure look like? Um, and if you've been part of those meetings and continue to be part of those meetings, um, to be effective as a ministry, how can we do that? How should our staff structure look like so that we can continue to do the things that we're doing and do more of the things that we should be doing? Things a master has in his heart. And, and why is it important? Why is it important? 
It's important because um, there might be someone that comes here for the first time, just like I came here for the first time, um, over a Facebook post. I was going to a, a good church. It was just very conservative, and I was, I was that progressive person in the church that was always wanting to fight for something. Um, and immigration was my thing, and I wanted, to, I wanted to march. I'm like, come on, let's march, and I'd be the only one. I'm like, why isn't anyone wanting to do this work? And I saw a Facebook post, and I came because I saw that Urban Village was doing a series on social justice. And it was the first time that I had heard of a church doing something like that. And so I came here. And when I came here, I noticed that they were, um, it was pretty diverse, but that there were um, LGBTQ um, people in the, in the congregation and singing in the front. And that moved my heart. That changed me uh, to, to be able to be in a place that um, is affirming of the LGBTQ community changed my life in ways that you may never know. And as I've been uh, working at Urban Village for the, at the foresight and um, going to different churches and seeing different things, I know that this is the Lord's heart, that he wants to create spaces, and there are not that many that are diverse, that fight for justice, that seek to be anti-racist, that look to affirm and include everyone. This is something that's pretty unique and something that we are serious about continuing and growing in and having spaces that, that um, everyone can be welcomed into. And so as, as we continue and we have our pledge cards, which we are continuing to do throughout the rest of the year. Um, think about where in your 30% or in your 20% um, you can save money and, and give towards some of the work um, that Urban Village is doing. And that means giving of your talents, your gifts. Um, there's so many ways that you can give um, to each other and give to the community um, and increase that which God has given you. And so um, as we continue, so our perception of God will affect the way we live our lives at every level. If we see him as a good God, we will be intentional about caring for all that he has entrusted to us, our bodies, our neighbors, the migrant, our time, our money, our family, everything. Alternatively, a careless attitude about our gifts and neglect to use them in the service of others is likely the result of a rejection of God as creator of all things, including ourselves and including our fellow men, women, and siblings. And so as, as you think about your talents and you think about maybe your past with God and maybe situations where you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. Um, it's okay to have these conversations with God. But we would continue to give of ourselves and give to each other and be a community 
um, that loves each other and cares for each other and seeks to serve others in different ways. Amen.